right. As we do each week, I want to start off with a recap. <laughs> and I really want to be interactive with this, but I also don't want to turn it into a game of what? Who remembers what? Uh, so we started off week one, cornerstone, right? I feel like we just did this like a day ago. This last week has just flown by. So that first week, cornerstone, we talked about Jesus as the chief cornerstone, right? The starting place for everything. The one who put what in your hands? The everlasting kingdom, right? His everlasting kingdom. He's placed in our hands. But from there, we moved on to talk about camp life, uh, uh, that life out in the wilderness, and we focused on the rebellions out of the book of Numbers again, and those rebellions do what for us? They hold up a mirror to allow us to see our own places of rebellion. And, and really ultimately coming to see that it's imperative for us to remember what God has done for us, who he has shown up as for us, and, and to stay focused on the mission he's given us and be reliant on him for everything inside of that. We're not doing this alone, right? We're not doing life alone. Can we all agree on that? Yeah, one? Okay, one. I'll take one. After that, we talked about the tabernacle. We looked at at that and, and how God wanted to dwell with his people. And so he made a way for that for, to be a reality through the tabernacle. We discussed how uh, that was just the beginning and that God, through Jesus, made way for us to become the dwelling place of his spirit, right? We became uh, the tabernacle, the, the holy of holies, is, is us now. After that, we talked about the priestly anointing and how Christ's priesthood created a new class of royal priests. Whereas the whole nation of Israel, before when we see in Exodus 19, was called a royal priesthood, under Christ's new covenant, the title royal priesthood uh, it is applied to us. It's applied to us as the church, as as one body, in oneness, that's what we are. We are a royal priesthood. So it means all the sons of glory can serve as priests. In Christ, uh, the church becomes a royal priesthood. In Christ, the church becomes a royal priesthood and what? A holy nation. After that, we talked about the servant and the son. Um, we, we walked through a couple of chapters in Isaiah there. And looking at the servant of the Lord, Jesus, and how he showed up to serve, that was the real focus of that one, was showing up as a servant. Showing up to serve, but not to be served. And did so as a son. His act of service allowed us to be brought into the family and into sonship. And I, I always you know, joke at this point, ladies, you can be sons if I can be a bride. Right? Okay. So we're all on the same page there. So that means no matter what mission uh, God has called you to, you are there to serve in that capacity. And you're doing so in the authority of a son of the Most High God. After that, we talked about the altar and offering. We looked primarily at Hebrews 9 to be able to understand what Jesus did for us as the ultimate and final offering that atoned for sin. 
and, and made way for us to enter into the presence of God without fear. It made way for us to be that royal priesthood. After that, Angie talked about praise and talked about defining praise. Uh, and to do so, we have to be, to praise, we have to be after the heart of God, right? Like David uh, being called one after God's own heart. It, it's the mark on, on those who make their life derived from praise. And we did so by looking uh, at Judah and, and really his birth and his naming and the, uh, I, I want to say relent, but the, the relent point of his mother Leah to say, this time I will praise the Lord. Rather than maintaining a victimhood status, regardless of the situation around her and her circumstance, she was determined at this point to praise the Lord. And so she called her son Judah. And there were, uh, there were some big questions that Angie asked that, that week. Or what one of those being, what choice will I make in the middle of opposition? This is one of these questions that we have to continue to go back to over and over again because we, we have to be able to say, will I praise or will, will I shrink back when opposition comes at me? And then asking, what am I doing with my praise? Where am I placing work? In these times that we are coming together corporately and, and entering into praise and worship, where are we placing our work? If we're not placing it on Jesus and it's somewhere else, we need to reevaluate what's going on. And these are, these are great questions to go through daily. What choice Will I make in the middle of opposition? Will I shrink back or will I praise? After that, it was uh, about worship. And and to talk about worship, uh, starting in Isaiah 6, and looking at the idea that we must exalt God to the point where we become small. Basically, next to the fullness of God, we should feel small. And I, I love the, the trick question that she came out with that day was, can you measure the standard of worship by uh, worship by feeling God? I, I love that question because it really makes you think like, well, it, it, is worship really good if, if I'm feeling something? Like all warm and fuzzy and got the goosebumps and everything? Oh, that means worship is good. And if I don't, mm, I'm just not going to I'm not going to ascribe work to it if I don't feel something. No, you can't measure the standard of worship by how you feel. Said so if we based our level of worship in anything by feeling God, we are going to be let down. It's not about us. It's not about you and it's not about me. It's all about God. And that is the thing we have to remember. The enemy is going to try to, to rob us of feelings or try to give us feelings and that are lies in, in an attempt to take us away from worship. But if we remember it's all about God and not about us, then it's not going to happen. She also got into defining worship as doing so as a sacrifice and, and reminding us that 
a sacrifice it was the burning of flesh and that's not going to feel good if we allow ourselves to really sit in that space it, it will cause us to ask Holy Spirit questions right questions that we may believe are difficult but in reality he really wants to engage us in those questions and again Angie offered up some tremendous questions there is, is what am I demanding of myself first is my source of what Jesus is doing coming from today or the past? Are you living in old wineskins or are you stepping into what Jesus is bringing you into now, into the new? Another question, am I up for great sacrifice? Am I up to be a continually living sacrifice? Those questions go together. Are you up for great sac sacrifice? Are, are you willing to become the torch rather than simply holding the torch? God wants a pure and spotless sacrifice. Am I going to give him what he's worthy of? Again, another one of those questions that is probably good to ask every morning as your feet are hitting the floor getting out of bed. Am I going to give him what he's worthy of today? After that, we talked about prayer. And the basis of a person's approach to God in prayer is, is never simply man's. It's not simply our search for God, but God's gracious initiative to, to establish covenant with us. And the promise of, of help and deliverance is in that basis of covenant. So it's not about our search and, and, and the prayer isn't about us searching out for God, but its its basis is found in the covenant that he made that allows us to to have that promise of, of help and deliverance. And so prayer cannot always be about self. Over and over, Jesus talks about oneness, uh, talking about the relationship that he had with the Father and how he wanted us to have that same relationship with each other. It's selfish. Not, or it's selfless, not selfish. Now, prayers of oneness, we're doing away with self and, and turning attention and passion to oneness with one another. Are we getting that right now? Are we doing that well? I would say no. But if we start to turn our passion there, particularly in prayer, we're going to start to see things shifting. It's like the time of prayer this morning, being able to, to come together and, and fight on the behalf of, of a, a region, a nation, a generation. That's where we're starting to, to get a glimpse into what oneness looks like. In that discussion on prayer, about if you want to focus on self, focus on putting yourself on the altar as a living sacrifice. Focus on, on praying about what it looks like for you to show up in the fullness of Christ and the anointing that you carry. Focus on not taking the, the uh, um, exit of, of, I don't want to do this, it's uncomfortable. So staying within your comfort 
when God asks you to, to do something or, or tells you to say something to someone. If there is any individual focus, that's what it's on. Putting yourself in the altar is a living sacrifice. Showing up in the fullness of who it is that he says you are. Apart from that, we are to share all things in common. That we are one body, the bride of Christ, the church. So it's time we start praying like it. Really time we start living like it. It's time to focus on oneness. This is, if we get back into, we share all things with Christ, when we start to pray, we should not just be looking at uh, monetary things. We shouldn't be thinking materialistic when we think of sharing all things in common. We, we forget the aspect of what it is that he's given us to carry as a member of the body. That brings us to last week where we talked about the Spirit of the Lord. And we start talking about Isaiah 11.2. And the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord resting upon him was a permanent thing. Not the resting and lifting that we're used to in the Old Testament, but it was it was we talked about Jesus quoting or reading the scroll of Isaiah uh, 61 verses 1 and 2 out of Luke 4 and that was it says the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we know that's where he stopped reading, handed the scroll back to the attendant, and said, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your ear. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the favor that is extended over us now, today. Jesus came to set us free from all of the things that would keep us from him. There was to be no separation between God and us. No sense of distance at all. We should be able to come to the Father at any time without worry. This is part of the freedom that we can grab hold of, uh, the access that is in our hands. We have the everlasting kingdom in our hands. That means we have access to the King. And the Spirit of the Lord is, is resting upon us, meaning a permanent indwelling when we look at being made the tabernacle of God, you can start to see these things are all starting to come together. We're all starting to have that uh, uh, point of, of colliding. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have access to freedom because of what Jesus did. What he did in our place, we have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit of the Lord. Yes. Hallelujah. We have access to the attributes of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Today we're going to be talking about wisdom. And again, when we go through each of these 
spirits of the Lord. And we talked about these, these attributes. I really hope you're coming away with questions. Really thinking about what we're talking about. Asking questions. Really being uh, inquisitive. Questions are how we learn. It provides you the opportunity to engage Holy Spirit in conversation. So that's really what I hope you're, you're coming away with. Wisdom, it's uh, the general capacity to have right judgment in, in all things. It comes from life experience and reflection on that experience that you have. So this shouldn't be confused with learning because it, it, it implies mature reflection of life. Does it mean you have a lot of years? Not necessarily. But it means that there is reflection on those years. You're taking time to, to sit and, and, and learn it, uh, based off your experience. So over your lifetime, where do you begin to attain wisdom? Or when will you recognize wisdom in your life? Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. It's interesting that Isaiah 11.2 ends with the fear of the Lord. Yet we see wisdom begins there. That tells me that when we read this list, we can't look at it as as ordered. As as in other areas of the Bible, we can't always uh, assume that because the author put items uh, in a list, uh, it does not mean that they belong for all time in that order, as though uh, the order carries rank with it. We can't look at it that way. The Hebrew conception of wisdom really developed along two lines. So wisdom has human and divine aspects. Uh, in the human aspect, it, it devoted itself to the consideration of the great problems of life. It was identified with knowledge of, of the laws and principles, uh, observance of which uh, leads to a successful life. These were all summed up uh, in what was looked at like a formula, which was uh, the fear of the Lord. That was the formula that is is looked at for human wisdom. Later in the history of the idea, it was a a subjective experience and and was internalized and uh, objectified and under the growing influence of priestly ritual, wisdom came to be defined as observance of the Mosaic Law. When we're looking at the Old Testament, this is what happened. This is where wisdom was was pointed to in a human way and through human understanding. But on its divine side, wisdom was at first conceived as an attribute of God which he generously shared with us. And then as the conception of God grew broader and deeper, larger areas were, were marked off as, as inaccessible to man and known only to God. Wisdom was then personified and represented as the companion of God in, in all uh, uh, his creative activities. 
And, and this was under the influence of, of Greek thought, uh, of personalized and, and made to function as, as an intermediary between man and God. He carried out his, his purposes toward the righteous. There were, you can look at, at wisdom and, and kind of extract three basic definitions. And the first two are, are very secular. Uh, the first is wisdom is considered uh, by many to just simply be the art of learning how to succeed in life. And, and apparently ancient persons learned very early that there was orderliness to the world in which they lived. They also learned that success and happiness came from living in accordance to that orderliness. So we're, when you, you think about orderliness, you can think about in the time of the patriarchs. So before the Mosaic Law came, there was an order. They somehow instinctually knew to worship God. The second wisdom is uh, considered by some to be a philosophical study of the essence of life. And certainly much of uh, the books of Job and Ecclesiastes uh, in they seem to deal with, you know, these existential issues of life. The woman's me type of things. And third, this is, this is where the definition shifts from more of a secular or humanistic focus. Um, it's the real essence of wisdom is spiritual. Life is more than just living by a set of rules. And, and being rewarded in some physical manner for, for following those rules. Undoubtedly, in, in this, this sense, wisdom comes from God. There's no other way to look at it. Proverbs 2.6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, from knowledge and understanding. So that it will involve observation and instruction. Wisdom really begins with God and one's faith in Him. So that belief, it comes back to believing again. So although, although the, the term wisdom is primarily used in the Old Testament with reference to the human beings, all wisdom is ultimately rooted and grounded in God. It forms a, a central part of the nature of God. In wisdom, God created the universe. Proverbs 3, 19 says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. And in wisdom, God created mankind. Psalm 104, 104 verse 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Those matters which, which aren't understood by us as humans, uh, or, or really any living creature, are fully comprehended within the wisdom of God. And we can look at Job. Chapter 28, starting in verse 12, says, But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. 
And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver. It cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. For where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. That's Job 28, 12-23. Wisdom in, in its positive connotations is something inherent in God. It's reflected in creation and, and a part of the reason for our existence. Wisdom in creation is reflected in the form and order we, which emerged out of, out of the chaos. The world may hold meaning for mankind only because it reflects in its structure the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God in creation of, of mankind means that human life may also be marked by form and order. And that meaning in life may be found in the created world, which, which contains the marks of wisdom. The wisdom of God is, is creative, it's purposeful, and it's good. It's not merely the intellectual activity of God. It's creative as well. The potential for, for wisdom in us is rooted in the creation of mankind. We were created by divine wisdom and, and we have as human beings within us the, the God-given capacity for wisdom. The word wisdom in, in the New Testament is used in, in very similar ways to that of the Old Testament. The terms used uh, both of the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. But with respect to human wisdom, the term, again, compare, can carry positive or, or negative connotations. The connotation of, of the Old Testament wisdom tradition is really found in the New Testament. Wisdom may sometimes carry negative overtones which depreciate human wisdom. And, and Paul describes uh, his, his message as being not in the plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of the spirit of power. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians 2. Purely human wisdom has really no ultimate merit of its own. And, and Paul quotes the Old Testament to demonstrate uh, that God would destroy human wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.19, he says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That's a quote from Isaiah 29.14. So a clear distinction between 
good and evil wisdom is also provided in, in the book of James. James 3, 13 through 18 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So a person who, whose life reflects jealousy and selfish ambition doesn't have the true wisdom of God. But it's earthly-minded. It's unspiritual. True God-given wisdom is, is what's listed in verse 17. It's first pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy. It's without uncertainty, uncertainty or insincerity. So the fundamental wisdom is, is again that of God, which is, is rich and, and really profound in all of its fullness. You look at Romans 11.33, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. The wisdom of God, which is relevant to all mankind, for God's wisdom concerning human beings was to be revealed to the world as a whole through the life and ministry of the church. Ephesians 3.10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's a very interesting, interesting verse that We are made to put the, the wisdom of God on display and make it known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's a high call. Wisdom was the primary possession of God and it reflected in the life and ministry of Jesus. During Jesus' years of his growth uh, reflected his increase in wisdom. Luke 2.40 says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And we can see as his opponents, uh, as well as his friends, recognize that wisdom in his teachings. In Matthew 13, 54, it says, In the coming to his own town, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Since wisdom is rooted and grounded in God, true and spiritual wisdom, it's God's gift to us. It's a, it's a gift. It's an attribute of, of his spirit resting upon us permanently indwelling us, that we have access to it. You can see it in the lives and in the words of uh, those in Acts. Uh, 
Acts 6.10 says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, talking about Stephen. And Paul, uh, if you look at 2 Peter 3.15, it says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. We can see that wisdom is, is part of what we have access to when we look at the lives of, of the apostles and, and the, the people in the church, or in the church. This is wisdom has been required of men who were to assist Moses with his tasks in the Old Testament. Wisdom is required of a person serving in the church today and even in the early church. Acts 6 3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The spiritual wisdom, which provided the knowledge enabling a person to live fully the life that, that God has given us, was to be desired for for ourselves and prayed for in others. Colossians 1 9 says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The most central aspect of wisdom in the New Testament was the gospel of Christ crucified. We can't ever forget that. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, he really makes a contrast, a vivid contrast of the positive and negative senses, wisdom in proclaiming the death of Jesus. The world didn't know God by their own wisdom. It's not through their own wisdom that they knew it. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. We're not going to understand it in our own in our own wisdom. We have to have the wisdom of God to understand what was done on our behalf at the cross. The true revelation of God and His redemption of mankind were not revealed to those who who sought such truth through wisdom alone. That was the the Greek approach to wisdom and philosophy. The gospel was declared in preaching, which was uh, uh, from a strictly philosophical or wisdom pers- perspective, a kind of foolishness. A kind of foolishness to, to look at the cross and say, that's salvation. The divine one being, being killed. That doesn't look like wisdom. Not through our, our, our own natural perspective. And yet the gospel of Jesus was, was both the power of God and the wisdom of God. First Corinthians 1.24 says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This, this is for everyone. We have to look at it in a different perspective, looking at the cross. The wisdom of the cross is, is not going to be seen if we just look at it with natural eyes. We have to be willing to, to step back and, and ask God to, to give us revelation, to give us 
actual wisdom. Jesus, for those who believe, he became the ultimate source of wisdom. Of that wisdom uh, which could only come from God. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That's what Jesus became for us. The wisdom of God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So again, I want to emphasize that you have access. You have access because of what Jesus did for us. What he did in our place. We have the permanent indwelling of the Spirit of the Lord. Which means we have access to his attributes, again, of wisdom and understanding, counsel, and might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. We can't forget these things. This is this is not something that takes an in-depth conversation to, to understand that if we look at things with our own perspective and through our own strength, we're going to miss it. We have to be willing to, to find the questions, take them to the Holy Spirit, and seek out wisdom. To be able to look back at our lives and, and reflect on that with Holy Spirit, not on our own, not in our own understanding, and gain wisdom. We're going to get more into where wisdom leads us next week, but I want to, I want to leave you with this last thought. When we start looking at wisdom, wisdom is not something that we just jump straight to. I like to look at it as there are little bits of data that we start to collect from all over the place, all different kinds of sources. And we collect this data and we start to pull it in. And as you take these bits of data and you start to put them together, you start to see the pieces coming together, you're starting to form some knowledge. You're starting to, before we get there, you're getting information. So data put together starts to get information. You take bits of information, you start to put those together, you start to get some knowledge. You take knowledge, you start to put that together, you start to gain some wisdom. And what wisdom is going to allow you to do is then to make good choices. It's going to allow you to have uh, uh, decisions that are backed up by the conversations you've had with the Holy Spirit. You're not just taking bits of data and, and running with that and, and saying, oh, this is good enough, I've got the answers, I can go. This is what we talk about and we've been talking about for the whole year. You have to sit long enough to allow the data to start to turn into some information, to start to turn into some knowledge, to give you wisdom to be able to make good decisions. And we're going to talk some more about that next week. Father, we thank you for the access that we have to wisdom, to your wisdom. Not our earthly wisdom, not our earthly understanding that you be true wisdom. That at any point we can we can turn and, and seek revelation from you. We thank you that you are our our 
showing us that your wisdom is not always going to look like what, what we think it will. Thank you for, for the access that we have. Build up an, in us, in us, Father, the, the audacity to use that access. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.